Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. We are back. I'm back with my co-host, David Tainer, who, hey, was, who was out with uh, the bubonic plague. <laughs> Thanks for holding for it down. While. Yeah, well, you know, we did. I had to go solos. It was it was actually, um, it was pretty intense. <laughs> and uh, we have a really special guest today, uh, Adam Davidson. Hey, guys. Uh, of The New Yorker, and a... You know, one of the one of the there's so many people who write about the Trump Russia story, um, but there are relatively few people who are truly hardcore and truly deep, deep, deep in the story. Um, and Adam, you are one of them. You're you're like, I mean, I, I I remember. God, I think it was like the first time we talked about this story, like the the big macro story, was like a year ago, and was it about the that Georgian development? Or the Ob- Azerbaijan one, maybe? Or yeah, maybe, I mean, yeah. you can tell. I'm yeah, tossing all, my Central Asian and <laughs> yeah, Caucasian exactly. countries together here. Um, but I, I remember when I read that, I'm like, man, you are deep in this. I am deep in yeah, it. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you've been... Yeah, well, so we're going we're gonna to kind of... We're going to get into it and talk about... Um, a lot of Trump Russia stuff. We're going to talk about some of the, the 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 things that are happening like right now, even things that have have developed in the last few days. But also kind of because I I want to kind of pick your brain and 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 talk about. I want to I want to learn more because I'm I'm constant. I mean, this is like th- this is one of those scandals that um, you know, if you want a scandal to really go down the rabbit hole. And and like there's an endless, you know, range of things you can you can you can learn about. This is one of them because it's, it's just endless. It's unbelievable and helpfully for us reporters, although maddeningly as well. There's so much meat left on the bone. There yeah, are totally so much. Like I feel like there's so many deals that a reporter could just rip apart. And, and have have you you know there's just as an example of that. You know, a couple of weeks ago there was that case with there's that development in Indonesia. Yeah. Indonesia, yeah, that uh, a, China, a Chinese government-owned company um, was brought in to build part of it, and they got uh, loan. They brought in like half a billion dollars of loans from a state bank or state bank. And, and so this is a case where I didn't even know. About, I mean, I kind of knew they were doing something there, but I haven't even really like, yeah. The learned Indonesia about this. deal, even without the Chinese, was already unbelievable and we can get into it like really stunning and shocking and then and then adding to it right. that it's effectively a chinese government project at a moment of the greatest diplomatic tension of yeah. recent memory between the US and China it's un it's unreal it's yeah a, no yeah, totally yeah. so you know speaking of business and uh, and 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 commerce. I want keeping I, the lights on. Yeah, yeah, keeping the lights on. There's something I want to. I, I just want to discuss briefly, and that is uh, order fresh Grady's cold brew directly to your home, office, or campaign call center. Drink it straight. Mix it. Mix it in your favorite milk, 
or add some vodka for the ultimate white Russian, or add some Trump vodka for the ultimate White House Russian. I, I, I say every time, <laughs> this is actually like in the ad copy. It's not, it's not me. Uh, not me. I haven't riffing. tried that one yet, but we should. I haven't either. Well, you know, the thing is with 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 Grady's. You know, we get Grady's here at, at TPM. And actually now the D.C. office, they were like, dude, where's our Grady's? So we hooked <laughs> them up with Grady's. Yeah, they're nice. thirsty That's for good. it. But, but then, you know, for me, I'm just like like straight Grady's. But now they have these other flavors, too. That's right. And they're sending them here to TPM. And I'm, I'm like, dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, this is like hazelnut? I mean, like, keep it simple. But apparently... They're branching out. The chicory is not enough for uh, some people. Uh, listen, for me, I, I, I don't want to talk about other flavors, but I, <laughs> but apparently uh, everybody here likes them. So anyway, let me, let me get, get back to this ad copy. I'm, I'm totally, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm losing it here. Uh, Grady's famous chicory-infused brew. See, that's a chicory-infused. Not supposed to be like hazelnut or, yeah. what is, isn't there like a mocha or something? Like hazelnut that? mocha and French vanilla, I think. Okay. All right. <laughs> Um, hey, we can't we can't speak ill of Grady's. Here. <laughs> no, no, Grady's. Uh, is yeah, okay. Yeah. So Grady's famous chicory infused brew is always ready to pour straight from your fridge. Try out Grady's cold brew kit and get thirty six cups of iced coffee for only thirty bucks, and they ship worldwide. Ready to give it a swirl? Get twenty percent off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Okay. All so right. we talk and about by the way, Grady's. I've yeah. always said that Grady's. Cold brew coffee is the best of Trump's many businesses. <laughs> yes, 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 exactly. We have, we have many people are saying that. Yeah, yeah many people are saying that. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, if when when uh, yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't even touch that. Um, okay, so uh, Adam, so we're here at, at at TPM World Headquarters. We want to talk about Trump. Here, here's a, I want to I want to dig into one thing here. In the last uh, last week. This guy, Gene Friedman, who's like, I mean, they literally call him like the taxi king. That's and he, He's the most, or he was the, like the biggest owner of taxi medallions in New York City. You know, owned a ton of them, really big player. Has business relationship with Michael Cohen. He got this plea deal where he got, gets n- no jail time. And everybody's thinking like, all right, what, you know, what did he, what did he have to, to, to serve up uh, to get no jail time? So what was your, when you first heard that, did, did you have a, what were you thinking? Did you have a sense of that? Yeah. I mean, I found that as a major moment in the uh, in, in the Trump saga. I mean, it, it it is hard. And, you know, I see you tweeting all day. I'm tweeting yeah. all day. We're both like each new story we're, we're, we're on top of. I mean, you know, we we happen to be paid a salary so that to right. stay on top of it, it's right. a full-time job. And it's still incredibly hard to stay on top of, of each um, development and – relative important understand the relative importance right, right. I, I would say that we know very little about the internal deliberations of, of that Mueller is going through however what seems very clear is Michael Cohen flipping or not flipping is one of the most important moments that could happen in this entire story Michael Cohen was the intermediary between Trump and a whole host of New York based Russian mobsters and a whole host of um, bad actors in the former Soviet Union, right. in Russia, in Azerbaijan, in Georgia, etc. And um, we don't know if where Michael Cohen's head is at, right. but the more pressure there is on him, the the better it is. So, so at a minimum, 
what this tells us is Friedman, this taxi king, right. was bringing something to the table we have to assume that was really decisive about Michael Cohen. Now, it could be not Trump related. It could be part, you know, Michael Cohen for years before he got into the Trump orbit. You know, he he it's really like a Better Call Saul episode. He was yeah. working outside of these cab dispatch offices as a lawyer. Right. Um, and, and, you know, it seems to be central to these um, – uh, hit and run scams, all these, yeah, all these a crazy, lot of different real low scams, de- low right, level right, scams. Right. So it could not, at, could be not at all Trump related. But as you had on the podcast a week or two ago, there is a direct link between um, the really sketchy outer borough Ukrainian Russian taxicab business and Donald Trump specifically. Right. And so, um, so at, I would say at a minimum, this seems to suggest a even likely likelihood, likelihood that Cohen will flip. Um, and then it may also contain some really powerful uh, information about uh, Trump himself. Because remember, Friedman was facing decades of, I mean, effectively a life sentence in yeah, prison. Well, I guess there, were, there was, what I saw that I think there were four counts, each of which in theory, and obviously you don't usually get the maximum, that each had a, or 25 years. So in, you know, in theory, up to 100 years. Um, you know, he was never going to get that, but conceivably decades in, I mean, in a prison. Effective life sentence, you could think, or yeah, certainly I mean, a, you know, a, a long a life, time, a yeah, life big, ruining yeah, sentence. Exactly. Another another plea deal results in no prison time at all. Is that right? And a much smaller, uh, yeah, like a fine, fifty thousand dollar fine, which basically. is truly nothing and, to him. And, he, As, and it was something like six million before the Cohen raid. So here, here's the okay. I I have a a. a, a I found out from someone who'd seen the documents that in various like negotiations that that uh, that Friedman had in you know in the taxi business where you have to like you know you're going to get a loan or something like this and you have to say well this is my net worth that that he was presenting documents that that put his net worth in the neighborhood of seven hundred million dollars. Wow. Now not net not in the sense now. He at his height, he owned uh, about 800 plus taxi medallions in New York City. At their height, back in like 2014, those things were worth 1.2, 1.3 million dollars. So you can do the math there yourself. On paper, that's like a billion dollars. But obviously, we don't know he actually had all the equity in all those things. Presumably, there's a lot of leverage and stuff. But I mean, actual net worth, which is astounding if you if if you think about it. Now, here's okay. So so obviously one possible scenario here is, you know, he's got the goods on Trump and Russia. And and that was, you know, the feds gave him, you know, gave him a get out of jail free card. Um, That's one, you know, we'll kind of put a pin in that as one possibility. What what does not seem likely to me is that he gets that kind of deal, just for things that are internal to sort of like, you know, corruption within the taxi world, which no doubt there's a lot of. I don't think you you get that kind of deal just because, you know, just kind of little stuff like that. Now, I assume what you're talking about is maybe stuff to do with money laundering into the United States and Russia, but not, but just not necessarily to do with Trump or kind of Russian organized crime or something like that. That That's, yeah, that's yeah. sort so, of the alternative scenario yeah, you're talking so about? Cohen both before and, and even more so after he marries his father-in-law's daughter, right. Schusterman. It's it's good coincidence when you marry your father-in-law's daughter. Kind of right. I did it. Yeah, I okay. did it. Well, yeah, and I'm thrilled Many I did. Many of us yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so um, 
so there, there's several overlapping things that feel, you know, essentially proven enough that you can say it without terrible fear of, right. of libel. But let's right. just say, apparently, yes. allegedly, yeah. um, a huge flow of money flowing from Ukraine. There's a, a very specific Ukraine uh, to New York City uh Pipeline, and yep. then also a Russia to, right. to you know obviously, right. and that um, and let me let can we go back like big picture? So we can, we can totally go back. Yeah. So if you look at um, the 1990s into the 2000s, and this is something I reported a lot when I was at uh, Planet Money, and it, it th- there's this amassing of an unimaginable amount of wealth in. The former Soviet Union, as well as a handful of oil-rich states and China, you know, liter- tens of trillions of dollars, right. unimaginable amounts of wealth, and it, and it's this unique moment in, you know, history. I mean, yeah. going back to the ancient Greeks and Romans, where there's way more capital accumulating in the periphery in the developing nations that right. don't have mu- don't have local, they don't have Googles and Facebooks yeah. to invest in. They don't yeah. have and so there's this huge capital flow that's you know just pouring into the United States, and part of that leads to the subprime crisis and all of that. But it's the exact same story. It's just the sort of illegal part of that story. It's it's um, all of these oligarchs amassing cumulatively trillions right. of dollars, and they want to get it either they want to invest it in something that'll return money and that doesn't exist at home. They want to get it away from Putin or whoever their local oligarch is, because the one thing you know for sure as an oligarch is someday someone more powerful than you is going to take everything you have. Right. Or maybe you'll get to die first, but your kids will, right, will get right, their stuff right. taken. So you want to get it out of the country. So there's this – we talk about Trump and Cohen as if they sort of just happen to come up with this idea. But there's this flow of money, this intense flow of money pouring um, particularly into London, New York, Miami – Los Angeles. And then at the same time, sort of coincidentally, having a lot to do with 9-11, as well as the after effects of the war on drugs, there's a huge increase in our monitoring of illegal financial behavior. So Mm -hmm. um, anti-money laundering, foreign corrupt practices, uh, money laundering, all all of this stuff, we're dramatically increasing our... um, uh, our, our supervision and, and demands and sort of norms. Right. And then just to add one more thing, there's the institutionalization of real estate in America, corporate real estate, that more and more of it is going through these very formal channels so that pension funds and, mm-hmm. and you know, Fidelity and Vanguard and all these people can invest in real estate. So you have these major huge forces, all of which mean... And let me, let me stop yeah. you right there. So, and when you say the formalization, I, I assume what you're talking about is that you can invest in real estate sort of in the way that one can invest in stocks. You don't need to be have an individual relationship with the owner of the company. There there are markets and, and, and that small that individuals and large institutions can invest in real estate in that way through sort of like a, yeah through like REITs, REITs and, and, right. and other devices okay. where very much like subprime mortgages right. and others where you bundle a bunch of commercial properties or hotels or whatever it is and then you sell off shares i mean yep. you there's a decent chance that in your pension fund your 401k or whatever you have 
you know, you own a tiny bit of a shopping mall in Independence, Missouri or something. Awesome. And um, in fact, that happened. The Fed, when they were buying distressed assets, ended up owning like a shopping mall somewhere right, in the Midwest. Right. And um, so all of it. So the reason I'm saying all these, you know, seemingly boring um, macroeconomic things is that it creates these conditions where there's more money that wants to find a place to hide and it's harder to hide it. So the right. price for helping them hide it is higher, but the risks are higher. And a lot of that is going into London, which was pretty wide open, but a lot of it is coming into New York. And Trump was essentially screaming, I'm open for business. Right. I'm open for business. Now, the the taxi cab the taxi cab. Well, let me let, yeah, me, let me hold you right there because I want to I want to kind of make sure we're understanding this. So basically, you have something. You have a number of things that are tied to late twentieth century global capitalism, the end of the Cold War, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that creates large pools of capital for which there is no obvious places to invest it in in productive returns. And there are both economic and political drives to get it into places that are perceived as uh, stable investments and strong rule of law states, i.e. London, various parts of the United States, to make it safe and kind of lock in your money. And then you have uh, 9-11, maybe a little kind of some of the war on drugs, where the surveillance for the state, in this case, the, the United States government, monitoring those th th that money gets a lot more lot more scrutiny. So and the, all these laws saying to banks, you can't just do business with right. I can't TPM just take my, LLC. Yeah, you have exactly. to know it's Josh Marshall. Yes, you have to know yes. who he is. And if he does anything funky, you got to yeah. file one of these now famously, we all know about SARs, yeah. suspicious activity okay. reports. Yeah. And um, so I... The reason I say all that is mm -hmm. to say that we shouldn't think of, you know, a Brooklyn-based Ukrainian-owned taxi cab medallion business as, you know, totally separate from it's just Trump a Tower. It's just a subset of of various places that are that are on the receiving ends of this of these flows of money, and that money needs places to go and. Maybe it's cabs. Maybe it's a Trump development. Maybe it's maybe it's buying up units. That these are all kind of part of the exactly. same. They're all part of global the same. picture. But there's not an infinite number of options. Right. You can't. You cannot take your three hundred million dollars of you know ill-gotten corrupt gains, or even uh, not ill-gotten, but you don't want to announce it. And it's really hard to just buy Google stock. It's hard to you know. Open your own, you know, bakery, or you know, there, there, there's a whole much of America and the UK, EU, etc. To to open a business, to do business, there's scrutiny. Right. One place that was really transparently and deliberately uh, opaque was real estate. It was self-policed because of this institutionalization. If you want to sell. You know, let, let, me yeah, ask you, let me ask you a question. Okay, so I'm I'm the Russian oligarch. I've got you just mentioned three hundred million dollars. Now, why can't I just buy stock and invest three hundred million in Google? So you have to go through an intermediary, which means a broker, large, a broker, right? And um, and the broker and you know when every financial transaction. So it, you know, it, there's the bank that sent the money. 
There's the bank that received the money. There's often a bank or two or three in the between. The point is I'm going to light up a lot You're of flags. You're going to light up a lot of flags if, I, if, I, if, if I, you do that. If I yeah. invest $300 million and, and in a good, Google. Yeah. A proper brokerage, which I guess you right. might, might not go with, would right. not- um, Well, the actual Josh would. Yes, the actual Josh would. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, so, I mean, we did see, this is more in, in the drug money laundering, but we've seen, there was sort of- a micro money laundering business of um, which could often be in the form of um, a whole lot of like ATM transactions and and uh, phone. I remember phone cards right. in, in ethnic immigrant communities. Right, right. right. But I, I, that's more when you you're amassing you know hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash and you have to get it. You're right. It's a different problem. But it turns out much like Brewster's Millions, the great movie um, from what was that late eighties? Yeah, 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 Late seventies, like early eighties. Yeah. Um, it's hard to spend three hundred million dollars, and so you need a bu- you need a bunch of avenues, and right. there weren't that many avenues. There was basically high end real estate, taxi cabs. Um, there, you know, apparently from, uh, you know, the fine wine market, fine art markets, markets where there's um, variable value so that, um, you know, I can, much like with, with luxury real estate properties, you know, I can buy a bunch of paintings and credibly claim that they really were worth $30 million, but then I sold them for $10 million because for some reason the, the their value was lost, not even though what was hidden was twenty million dollars in payment to you know right. somebody, so um, so so I think there's this big thing kind of happening very much in New York um, in the 1970s that Trump grew up in. Mm-hmm. It was not actually illegal to launder money. It was not against the law to launder money. That's only since 1986. And 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 okay. So and and I guess in this sense, by laundering. It only becomes – well, walk us through that. What exactly does that mean? So by definition, money laundering is – there was a crime committed um, and it actually has to be a listed crime. It's called a SUA, a Specified Unlawful Activity. Okay. Congress wrote that law and which means that um, – Congress people generally cannot be convicted of money laundering because it, you know being bribed as a congressional official is not oh, an okay. SUA. But it's things like tax fraud and I mean it's all the things that Trump's cronies were doing: corruption, stealing from a state. It can be in another country. So so it can't just be like you're sleazy, and and you're moving money around. You don't want people to know. There has to be a specific, a specific criminal, criminal predicate. Criminal predicate. Okay, that's on the list. It's right. fun to look at. Right. Um, then Sounds there's like a, a financial transaction, yeah. which could just be me handing you money. Right. It could be me buying your pro- apartment. It could be whatever. And then there has, and then you have to show an effort to conceal. An effort like to a, conceal. There's like either an effort to conceal or an effort to not pay taxes or to further the original crime. Okay. So, um, so I'd say there's there's zero question that the Trump organization has made a huge. We don't know the exact number, but you know certainly double-digit percent of its income from um, money that came from criminals and right. that helped them further their crime. The now, question, of course, is degree of knowledge. How much they knew. Well, yeah. Let me ask you this though, because certainly in the 1970s and in the 1950s, just and 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 the U.S. Uh, you know five families mafia is not the only you know kind of criminal organizations in the world, but certainly there's for decades been. Those guys need a way to take the money they're making in gambling rackets or drugs or or extortion rackets and get it into the official economy. So there's always been 
yeah, kind of so, a need to clean up money like that, right? Right, but the the act of laundering the money okay. was not in and of itself a crime. It Got could be it. an okay. indication of other crimes. Understood, understood. And, but okay. you really could, I mean, I looked into this actually, and you, I mean, according to bank examiners I spoke to, you know, in 1979 or 1983, you really could like walk in with a suitcase with $10 million in cash and go to a and bank. It just didn't matter where it was from. And just say, my name's Frank. Yeah. And, um, cool. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Okay. So you got so so you got all these things coming together. You got the you got the money that needs to go somewhere. You've got the heightened scrutiny. You've got the laws on the books that make not just not just where you stole the money in Ukraine a crime, but trying to trying to sneak it into the U.S. a crime. Okay. So that that so that gets us into the late '80s. We're with Trump. So okay. So where are we now? Okay, so so um, this was all my long-winded answer to the implication of, of what Michael Cohen um, was doing. So I I think that something that seems to make a lot of sense of the facts is that there is a you know the Trump organization has clearly always been very comfortable doing business with mob figures and and and, and, and Seth, and, who we talked to a few weeks ago, kind of made this point like the, from the very beginning, Trump was basically seeking these people out. Not just like I'm going to turn turn the other, you know, kind of look away, but like, you know, this guy from the Colombo family needs some, you know, yeah, yeah. talk to him because he may want to buy some units. Okay. Right, and he might buy some units. Yeah. But I, I, I'd say that we talk about oh, Trump couldn't borrow money, as if that's like oh yeah, I guess his credit score fell or something. I I see it differently. What I see it is after 2001, 2002. The world in which Trump lives changed fundamentally from it being fairly standard practice to take large sums of money secretly and not ask questions okay. to that being a huge choice that cuts off your path to more legitimate and, sources and, and, of revenue and business And activities. that's basically because post 9-11 and terrorist post financing. Post 9-11 and terror financing right. and, and other factors too. I mean they're just – um, there were people in the 90s who just were trying to build up this capability, and it took a long time because you you really need an international consortium to um, to you know you needed to get the Europeans on on board, right. and it okay. took them a long time. Yep. Um, so so it's not that oh yeah Trump yeah I guess he went bankrupt a few times. It was hard for him to get money. It was he made a choice to stay in the illegitimate illegal economy while New York and a lot of real estate was kind shifting. Clean, cleaned was up. Cleaned up. Now, right. I will say that doesn't mean it's really clean. It means that they played more sophisticated right. games right. to still facilitate money laundering, but in a more uh, – in, in a non-illegal way. I mean, right. they, they structured deals in such a way. So but – so on a moral basis, I don't know that, you know, I, I, you know Trump is – Wildly more, but greater legal vulnerability potentially. Yeah, much right, okay. much greater legal vulnerability, and also much much less upside. I mean, you look at even people like Tamir Sapir, mm -hmm. who was Trump's partner on on the Bayrock deal. Here's a guy. I mean, a real like classic, you know, cab driver who like, suddenly worth a few hundred million dollars worth yeah. through like one weird oil deal. Like he somehow suddenly from a cab in Brooklyn owns like a billion dollars worth of oil in a tanker somewhere. Like it makes no sense. Um, but you see the Sapir organization really trying to become 
one of these institutional money right. okay. players, and yeah. they're partnering. They're, th this is a big thing um, that's happening, particularly with Jewish Russians, and it, it, it um, where the recognition that once you can once you can sell to TIA craft to Fidelity, it's billions of dollars you have access to. You can just operate on such a bigger global level. So okay, so let me so so. Let me, let's back up here a little. So you have uh, Tamir Sapir, you know, the background, of what, like Bukhara or so, somewhere yeah. in like Soviet Central Asia or whatever. So he's in in the U.S. as, as a, a, an immigre. And so th these guys are setting and these and others are setting up companies uh, where, you know, a big real estate company, which will buy and sell big properties, which will invest money to make major developments and when you're kind of doing it, you know, at first, maybe you're kind of grabbing money from various sketchy players, and that's one way to do it. But at a certain point, you want to be able to go to the California State Pension Fund exactly, and say, okay, let's talk a billion dollars. And you start accessing that kind of money, and then you're kind of at a whole different level. But you kind of have to go legit and get Big enough and, and – And have and, internal controls. And, right. Yeah. Okay. But it would have been um, – I mean, actually, Victor Vexelberg, who just came up as, you know, this guy He's who gave Cohen. He's the Columbus Nova guy. Right. Columbus Nova, major institutional investor. You look at their holdings. It's not – we have this one property, you know, in, in Sri Lanka and then this other property on in Brighton Beach. It's – we have Serious this portfolio yeah. of assets, hundreds of thousands of assets. I mean, you go it, – it doesn't seem impossible. I mean, forget who Trump is and mm -hmm. how, whether – you know, just what the Trump organization was in 2001, 2002. Right. There was a path. Maybe he was temperamentally incapable, but there was a path that a lot of companies did – of accessing that institutional money and becoming a true global brand. That was a right. real option. And I think, you know, I think you see a hint of that in, you know, from what I've heard, Ivanka's plan for these three and four star hotels, mm -hmm. the, which has totally collapsed, but the American Idea and Scion hotel brands, right. where, where you're starting to starting to become a real proper big company. Right. You know, you're moving toward... And that doesn't necessarily have to be a public company. That can still be a private oh, company. Oh, yeah, it can right. very much right. be a private company. Right. Okay. But it can be a private company, not just worth billions, and I mean, truly worth right. many billions, but also with a diversified steady income. I mean, remember, this guy, he has 14 hotels. He has four commercial properties. I mean, he's, you know, a lot more money than I do, but this right. is a rinky-dink from a sort of New York, you right. know, you've been playing in these waters for decades right. kind of operation. It's so, okay, so why, so why, as best we know, does he not sort of, you know, go legit, as, as you're describing, in that time period? Is it because he'd had all these these bankruptcies and stuff that 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 option wasn't open to him in 2001, 2002? No, I think three? it was open to him. I okay. Think it, I think it was open to him, even even if there was criminal wrongdoing. I think my assumption is it's a temperamental that... Because presumably you got to give up control. You got to, even if it's not, even if you're not a public company, you have to sort of run things in a systematized, get real accountants to look at books and stuff like that. And you can't be running it sort of out of your back pocket. Sort of you thing. can't be, and, and, and you have to defer things today for the long-term benefit. In fact, you right. might be, you know, um, uh, and 
so you know, I mean, he just did. He just had to not fire Comey, and we right. would not right. be right. where right. we are right. now. Right. You know, like like it, it's so. Let me so, but yeah, but sorry, but yep. the the key point here is for whatever reason he made that decision. Once you make that decision, you, you are you're sort of married to getting money from shady folks because okay. there's just going to be a lot like all the legit money is going to go in the other way and is going to go through the other system. And so you are married to it once you make that decision. And so, you know, that's why we, you know, you start seeing, um, you, you start seeing this huge push overseas, you know, mm-hmm. just dozens and dozens and dozens of, of trying to make these, these overseas deals with, um, uh, you know, Michael Cohen, Ivanka and Don Jr. Um, just traveling the world, trying to hustle up these these really quick hit deals um, because, you it you know, we're, we're used to saying, oh, he couldn't get Citibank money. He couldn't mm-hmm. get that money. A lot of deals in New York. There's syndicated loans. There's a lot of ways of, of getting financing, mo- of things, financing right. things in New York. But just the the. He he made the other choice. He so made- let me let me ask you this. Okay, so so let's go back to two thousand two. So this is the point where he's making that kind of choice. What in two thousand four, two thousand seven, two thousand ten? What can you point to and say? Okay, here's how we know he. You know, here's the evidence. Like we know he made that choice because we see this, we see that. What are those things that in the subsequent fifteen, sixteen years? That we look at, and you say, oh, "This is this is the proof," because we know he did this, he did that. What are those things? So, Trump Soho, I, I see as something of a transitional moment. I mean, it because it, it, it is with Tamir Sapir, who yeah. at that moment is trying to do the other thing, he, and really does. I mean, you see the Sapir name around New York mm-hmm. on some very mm-hmm. legitimate. And he properties. passed away. His son he passed now away. runs it's the company. Now his son, right, Alex right, right. Appier, and his son-in-law, Rotem Rosen, right. who's the guy who was with Michael Hanging Cohen. Hanging out with Michael Cohen. Yeah, right, right, right. yeah okay. Rotem Rosen also married his wife's – his father-in-law's wife. It's, 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 daughter. it's everywhere, yeah. yeah. So um, uh, – because so, I, I don't – I think – I mean we can look at Trump Soho today mm-hmm. and, and for those who don't follow this with the obsession we do, um, the Trump Soho was, needless to say, not owned by Trump, nor was it – in Soho, but it was um, a very weird project where it was this odd, um, um, odd footprint, a sort of a, a bunch of um, a different uh, uh, leases or, or you know a bunch of land put together in a part of New York that wouldn't allow for um, residential uh, construction and couldn't really. It wasn't clear it would support a hotel either. It's sort of it's sort it's of, sort of funny, a random yeah, location. It's, it's in downtown it. Manhattan. It's funny. Like in theory, I knew where it was a long time, and then you and I and and a number of other reporters had a dinner a month or two ago, whenever that was, at the Trump Soho, which is now has a different name. And when I again, I knew the address. But I hadn't been there, and I get there, I'm like, man, what the fuck? It's right, farther it's right near west. The, yeah, it's, than it's you over think, yeah. in the entrance to the tunnel, like yeah. kind of where you go to get to the tunnel, like on Varick or yeah, exactly. like over. It's it's just it's it's in a for 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 people who don't know New York, it's it's not that it's gritty. It's in an area where there's no residential stuff and not really a lot of stores. It's just a funny place to have what is sort of billed as a sort of a snazzy fancy kind of 
prestige hotel. It's just if you were if if you were a wealthy person coming to New York, you want to stay somewhere. No matter what the hotel, you come out and you're like, there's nothing to buy. Like there's no stores. It's just a funny place. Yeah, it's yeah. a very funny place. It's it's um, one of the few really dead places in in Lower Manhattan. Yeah, um, and it was also a weird financial structure where. They would sell the hotel room. So you could buy a hotel room and you would have the right to stay in that hotel room. It had to be less than half the year or else it would be a residence. So so it, it's sort of – I mean I thought of it as like tailor-made for like mini-garks. Like all right, of, right. Like all like sub-garks, I call sub-garks. them. Sub-garks, yeah. 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 I mean, and, but it, you, know, you spend two or three million bucks. You now own a hotel room in New York. Right. That you can use whenever you want, but you can't change anything. You can't because it has to look like the every rest of other the hotel. hotel room. Right, it's a right, very right. weird deal, and it didn't work. Um, but it, and and it, but it seemed and and similarly, the Chicago project, the mm-hmm. the former Sun Times building, was a right. similar um, hotel condo arrangement. arrangement. Right, right, right. And as far as I can tell, it wasn't earnest. It was. It was. You know, like a lot of people who worked closely for Trump bought units in the Soho project, mm-hmm. including his own personal assistant, um, Norma, and um, and and his general counsel. I mean, they, like a, a a bunch of people who, if it was just a total scam, scam, or, right, I don't right, think right. would have bought money. So I th- I see that two thousand six, seven, eight period as like, hey, maybe like. We'll try this, and it's a total disaster. They're completely not up to this task of of um, building and maintaining, you know, doing due diligence on their right. on their partners. Um, this is where famously, you know, uh, Felix Sater was was running the project. Um, so you see this as kind of as sort of an attempt to kind of go legit well, and get I, into that world. I, I think that it was a, so. The reason I see it as a transitional mm-hmm. moment is. It it's to me they're both doomed for failure. I, it, it looks that way, but mm-hmm. we also know that there was a financial crisis coming right. two years later, right. and uh, we know a bunch of things that you wouldn't have known at that time. It it doesn't seem incompatible with a plan. It seems like a very Trumpian way. I mean, you're doing business with with oligarchs and some very sketchy mm-hmm. money, but you could imagine if those two projects succeeded, you could imagine them forming. The basis of a more legitimate right, okay. approach to business. Got it. Okay, but after that, it's this real frenzy. I mean, like a crazy frenzy in, um, and that really hits in 2010, 11, 12, where frenzy within the Trump world, within the Trump right, world, okay. for these um, international deals. And this is where you know. The, so there's a between 06 and and. 2010. There's a bunch of other deal Phoenix, yeah, um, a bunch of deals in Florida that, and and then there's the whole um, golf business where, in some cases, he's actually you know taking. There was a golf boom just as there was a housing boom, and so he is in some cases buying sort of down on their luck properties, giving them a facelift, and and they're he's improving them, but it's not. No one's getting rich off of that. You right. might make a million here, a million there, but you're not going to get really rich off of that. So then by – certainly by 2010, the, a major focus is this international deal-making. And there, it is very hard for me to see that as at all compatible with actually trying to build a real global business or any kind of business. These are 
frenzied, hurried deals with untouchable people, people who no one would do business with, um, deals that are just not going to bear fruit. I mean, you know, the I mean, the deals I looked at uh, most particularly in in Azerbaijan and Georgia just seemed. I mean, nonsensical. If we're talking about Trump Soho, these were truly in the wrong location, the wrong right. product, the wrong place. There was, it, you know, if anyone believed in them, they were really <laughs> deluding themselves. Now, is it, okay, so when, so are these the kind of projects that like it may not pan it? It may not come to get, you know, it may not be there in ten years. But right now, you're going to have five million dollars. You need that five million dollars, so you like sign up that that sort of thing like you're just you need to keep making deals yes. to keep the cash flow yeah, coming there's a even if they're not going to okay, yes got exactly it, got it. and okay. and they are like 1 million here 2 million there um and let, let me yeah. let me let me ask you one thing because one of the things that comes out of the Trump Soho reporting deal whatever is there's a few different players two big international or at least people with international money players there um Trump and in these lawsuits that are generated out of when everything fell apart, you have these things about like, okay, we were a little short of money and then $50 million showed up from Kazakhstan. So like there's some very weird stuff going on in in that that kind of seems sort of similar. How does that play in? I guess, well. Yeah. So everyone talks about Felix Sater, Felix Sater, right. when they talk about Trump Soho. And, you know, we now know, have a fuller picture of Felix Sater. Um, he did, you know, serve jail time in the in the nineties, and and um, and 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 was part of a mafia pump and dump scheme. But I, when I look at his behavior at Trump Soho, I don't. I I see somebody who's really trying to make a building that works, mm -hmm. and and I don't. And he's trying to put money together, and he's not obsessively, you know, doing a lot of due diligence. But I don't see him. And I feel like I'm alone in, in the journalistic field in this. I don't see him as like, oh, he's the guy who we're going to – his partner, Taufik Arif, right. this is the guy I'm really interested in. This is um, a Turkic you – know, a Turkic ethnic guy from – I guess born in Uzbekistan, was very much part of the Kazakh mob. Um, you know, people have told me a killer, like a vicious, vicious killer. Um deeply tied to well basically owns much of the Rixos hotel which is just this amazing hotel chain that it just seems like it's just a money laundering like it's barely a front it's, and where where there, um so he he was partners with safe al islam Qaddafi, Muammar Qaddafi's son um he, he was partners with the guys i wrote about in Azerbaijan, the mamada family it's actually the only other project, really big international project they did, aside from the Trump Tower. And uh, he's worked with Tamir Sapir. He worked with a bunch of other um, really sketchy people, um, very tied in um, with um, Erdogan, the, um, the premier of Turkey, um, and central to a whole network of really bad actors around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, and so I, I, if there, you know, if there's sort of a, you know, a character at the center of all this, I think he's a pretty good ca candidate that we don't talk that much about. It's, it's. Um, now he he got 
busted later in some sort of like prostitution ring. Yeah, in, in 2010, in like which is right in yeah, right, okay. right when the deal is falling apart. He got right. busted for having this yacht with underage prostitutes. Um, it was the charges were dismissed in a way that I don't think anyone feels probably not legit. Probably not legit. Right. Okay. Um, and then, um, but he's you know he's living in London. He's Sort of in living hiding. Living his best life. Living or his best. I mean, not, not his not, best. Yeah. But, He's living but his life. Living quiet. Living right. quietly. Right. Because okay. um, you see very quickly Trump going to a lot of the places where Taufik knows folks. So, you know, he, he goes to Georgia and does a deal with a Georgian company with deep, deep Kazakh ties. Mm -hmm. And then Michael Cohen goes to Kazakhstan to negotiate a deal. I don't know that Taufik Arif was the was the middleman, but it, 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 I, in my mind, I think of it as like, you could have gone the Tamir Sapir route or you mm -hmm. could have gone the Taufik Arif route in, right. and, and which is not to say Tamir Sapir is like the greatest guy in the world. It's just, you could have said, okay, Trump's Soho didn't work, but we got a lot of hard work guys and we got to build a lot of capabilities and we've got to build a real legal operation and do due diligence. And one day, maybe if we really work hard, we could be a sort of operating at that level yeah, where, we, where big institutional money will come in and then you're you're playing yeah. in a different area. Yeah. And so you okay. can imagine why Trump would have not even thought of that. Right. Well, OK. So so. Some of the people, like when we talk, and I, I don't think there's necessarily a contradiction here, just sort of different ways of, of, of looking at it, that when we when we talked to Seth a few weeks ago, um, you know, to him, the the Trump's openness to organized crime figures, relationships to people from the former Soviet Union, um, you know, goes all the way back to the 1980s in, in you know, it's sort of a progression that grows over time, but but... So that, um, and what you're saying is is a, a, a little different. That you have um, may, maybe that broadly speaking is true, um, but also over the 80s and 90s and into the first years of of the 21st century, you have a process of institutionalization and kind of tightening up or, or regularization of the commercial real estate world and that Trump basically d does not choose to join that. And uh, the Trump Soho project is maybe kind of an attempt to do that, but it doesn't work. And then by the late aughts, he and his family are out kind of looking internationally where I guess there's more and more opportunities in this part of the real estate business that has not been regularized and a lot of very sketchy money and stuff like that. Yeah. And okay. I don't see them as a contradiction. I, I see it as, I mean, I say Trump made a choice. I don't think Trump sat down one day right. and said, boy, I, should I go legit and become a true multi-billionaire or should I not go legit? Okay. I think he's obvious, like, this isn't a guy. It, yeah, it fit, fits in his it, yeah. control and impulsive behavior. Or, I, I guess it, at the most generous you know, we call it impulsive behavior, and it is impulsive behavior, but he's someone who – I mean, you can even see it with this stuff with – I mean, it's amazing how <laughs> – not in financial ways, but in many ways how transparent he is because you've got this situation in North Korea. I mean, as he says so often, people have been working on this for decades. It's really complicated. There's a lot of different people who who have had their hands in it. There's a lot of – 
There's a lot of diplomatic knowledge. There's a lot of scientific, all these things. But he really sees it as I want to get sit down with this dude and I'm going to sort of, you know, cajole and threaten and, and praise. And I'm just going to I'm just going to ace this thing. And that's clearly kind of how he how his mind works. And so yeah. that's probably in a, in a way the sort of the best explanation of why he maybe without making a conscious choice goes down that path. Absolutely. And it's way better for him, for his immediate gratification needs. I mean, the, the, what happened with these deals? I mean, we saw it. We, 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 we've heard vivid descriptions. There's even video of when the Georgians came to meet him and they brought Mikhail Saakashvili, the president of Georgia. And, um, and, you know, it's these sort of amazing videos you can see on YouTube where the president of Georgia is just like one guy sitting on the opposite side of Trump's desk. And Trump is, of course, showing them the every magazine cover he's ever been on and hitting on the attractive young minister of such and such. Right. And and, um, and so it fed everything you would want. I mean, he goes, you know, when he visits another country, he's treated like a head of state. All these people come up and kiss his ass and, and, and offer him millions of dollars. And so, I mean, you can just imagine if you happen to be the guy in the office who's like, Don, I know that's a great meeting, but right. I have this other meeting. It's called anti-money laundering due diligence. It'll just take three weeks right. and we need to build, you know, it's, it, it's so never going to. The, yeah. the, the, the stuff, the long-term stuff is just not as fun. Basically, it's not as fun. It's not as immediate. It's very abstract. I mean, right. it 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 it's um, you'd have to, you know, this is not a man who's capable. I don't think of thinking through the abstraction or delaying of, gratification. Or delaying gratification. Yeah. 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 So yeah. it seems like he had. No, so so I I don't disagree with Seth's point. What I say is just the context. I mean, this right. is the right. worst metaphor or simile to use ever. But I think of. You know, when I worked in public radio in the 90s, there were lots and lots of people who thought, like me, working in public radio or working in print journalism or working in any of these fields is the best thing ever, and I'll just do it for the rest of my life. And today, we have a different view because the world has changed. Right. And somebody who today is saying, I just think print subscription journalism is the way of the future is it, the context has changed. That's right. all I'm saying. The context changed dramatically and Trump didn't change with the context. But I think how he might have experienced it is actually the context changed in a really good way. Because if in the 70s and 80s and into the 90s, there was a competition for shady money, there was a lot of people who were open to doing business with shady money. By the mid to late 2000s, there really are not globally recognized brand names that will do business with these characters. So in some ways, it's more of a, a buyer's market for It's him, a buyer's a market. Yeah. The, the money he's offered is higher. I mean, we know from the Trump Soho, for example, when Felix Sater's criminal past came out and, um, and, and it was revealed that this deal could actually fall apart because you have to disclose if any. Yep. Um, Trump's response was, I want a bigger cut. That was his immediate response. Um, and and so, uh, so I think for him, it might have been like, wow, I used to have to like. Right. Well, look, this is, you know, the reason people go into drug smuggling as opposed to 
you know, Im- import export fabrics. I mean, the parts of that industry that are legit right. is that you run risks, you get huge payoffs. Right. And that, so, I mean, the, 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 the gains, I mean, you know, economists have a whole way of explaining these things. You, you are, you are assuming risk and you are, you, you are getting a, a premium right. for assuming risk. And there's a consumption value for Trump. So that's the other additional by which I mean, it's not just, a return on his equity or whatever, it, or payment for his time or his name. It's also fun. It's fun. Right, you get the to, sort of the ass kissing premium when you, you go look to at like, the Aguilar like of showing up. or yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. So okay, so let this. I'm I'm glad you just mentioned the Aguilar Aguilarovs because let's let's we're, we're we're coming to the end of the episode here. So let's bring it up to 2013. You've got this this. Uh, I don't know if it's the second or third attempt to build a a a building in Moscow. You've got the Miss Universe uh, pageant that happens there. Obviously, we've got this whole whole question of what maybe happened in a hotel. Blah 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 blah. But walk us through where does okay. So so um, you've got this oligarch who has his own reasons why he wants to sort of cuddle up to Trump. Um, Trump is open to the cuddling. Uh, they have this thing. Fit that 2013 um, kind of hooking up with this oligarch and making this trip into the trajectory you're talking about. Coming off Trump Soho, late aughts, like looking for business deals everywhere in the world, whoever. How does that fit in? How does that fit into the progression? Sure. So th- there's a few things that are worth pointing out. We we still don't have a proper picture of the network. Was was Trump interacting with a specific network of people that, you know, where there's a clear, this person introduced him to that person. Here was the center person who was kind of calling the shots. So it may or, be a little more, it's possible it's a little more organized than it may look on the surface. It's possible. And, you know, there's an a lot of, People of Turkic descent who aren't from Turkey involved. Mm-hmm. So there's the Agalarovs, the Mamadovs, Taufik Arif. Um, and then there's a lot more Kazakhs than you would normally expect to find in, right. in, in a um, – And just to give the, people some context, I mean we think of Turks as the people from the state, the modern state of Turkey. But basically across Central Asia, there are there – are a number of nationalities that speak Turkic languages that are considered right. ethnic, uh, Turkic ethnicities. And so that's who we're talking yeah, that's about who here we're across talking Central about. Asia, so basically. Azerbaijanis and yep. Turkic Kazakhs. And because, um, yeah, as I understand it, they came in across Central Asia and eventually conquered Turkey. Um, so it certainly is a network. I mean, he's doing business with people who know each other from other patterns, but it could just be like, you know, you and I know a lot of the same people because we're in the same field. Right, right, right. Or it could be that there's one or two businesses that are sort of, you know, central to all of right. this. And and Michael Cohen clearly is a central part of that story, whether it's a loose network or a more formal network. Um, the Aguilaris are a big step up, I would say. They're a big step up in wealth and they're a big step up in international prestige. Um, They're wealthier. They're closer to the Kremlin, as I understand it. Um, They're not the Putin buddies that they've sometimes been advertised as. I mean, like all oligarchs 
you know, they're, they they have to be in good with Putin. But um, Josh Yaffa, who's the New Yorker's guy in Moscow, tells me, you know, from a Putin perspective, the Hagalarovs are not pretty like, mar- like you're right. They, yeah, right. but they made a lot of money by building a lot of things for Putin and doing favors for Putin, like everybody. And, right. But they're a big step up. I mean, the Mamadovs, who he does business with in Azerbaijan, they're certainly rich. I mean, they're worth over a billion dollars. But even in an, I mean, Azerbaijan is this relatively small, small country, country yeah. that was a backwater of the Soviet Union. And, and even in Azerbaijan, the Mamadovs of the oligarchs were kind of the on the outs, lame, kind of losery oligarchs right. who right. since have lost all power. And, okay. Um, his partners in Georgia, I mean, Georgia is a very small country, you know, three million or something. And and his partners there were much less wealthy and, and, and influential. So the Aguilar's big step up. You can see why this is a relationship. Like this is the thing he's been dreaming of. Talking to him about um, a, a Trump Moscow, talking to him about accessing um, the the um, the inner circle of the Kremlin. And um, now what what's here's what's interesting, though. It's interesting that it just peters out. I mean, the relationship continues and they mm-hmm. stay in touch. But he finally hits, you know, he's getting closer to the big time. Right. And but we don't get a Trump Moscow. We don't get um we we don't get the next big deal. And that's where I have a hard time. I mean, they're clearly still on very good terms with the mm-hmm. Aguilarovs in 2016. Right. So this is where Glenn Simpson of Fusion GPS and his testimony to the House that was released, you know, he posits a que- really asks a question, but I find it a very powerful question. You, you see Donald Trump knocking on these doors frantically and his kids really knocking on these doors and staying in close contact with these folks. And but nothing coming of it, you know, nothing big. And this Aguilar's building malls and hotels right. constantly. And let me, let, me, let me just kind of make sure I understand this. So, so basically, um, a lot of these players with tough kind of loose Taufik Arif, right? Taufik Arif. These guys, these are very wealthy people, but they are, you know, kind of in the peri- you know from the periphery of the former Soviet Union. Um, I always the- say third tier oligarchs <laughs> from third tier nations. Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. So, so, and and the whereas the Agalarovs are. They may have a a Central Asian background, but they're in Moscow. That's where they're, they're based. In Moscow, they yeah. are at a at a big uh, a, a big jump up in wealth. Just how many dollars they control, and he may not be like Putin's best buddy, but he is in that inner. You know, let me take that back. Not not inner circle in the sense, basically in the. Uh, you know, the inner network, basically, of however many oligarchs are. Um, you know, close to power like that, and building stuff in Moscow and all. Exactly. Okay. So, so, so they're a second tier oligarch in a second tier nation. But to Trump, that who clearly perceives them as as big. As, as first of all, he clearly perceive, perceives Russia as a first tier nation, and right. and seems to perceive the Aguilaris as a first. Okay. So, 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 so they, they, he, you know, they, they, they have this uh, Miss Universe uh, pageant in. Moscow, he flies out there, all the stuff we know about. And so your point is that's 2013. And not only is there no Trump Moscow building, there's they, they don't do a deal on anything. And so, okay, so, so, and so, yes. So 
we've just talked about how Trump does not he can't wait a week. He can't wait an hour. He can't, you know, so but he's maintaining this relationship with the Aguilarovs, you know, years after the thing he dreamed of falls apart. Um, he's maintaining a whole host of re- relationships with um, w- with this mix of Turkic and other former right. Soviet Union folks. Most of them are not returning any cash that we know about. And so this is where you start asking the question. And by returning cash, you mean like he's looking to do deals. They're not actually putting up any money. They're saying yeah. nice things, but they're not putting up they're money. They're not putting up money. Okay. And um, and so the question Glenn Simpson asked was, is this man of all people really that patient to wait for the oligarch payoff? And or is he actually successfully conducting business that we don't know about? In other words, is he and um, so so for me, there, there's zero question is this. Did the Trump organization make money from money laundering and from corrupt officials? We know that. That's done. That's established. Um, and we know that to some degree they knew that their business was putting a gold brand on global dirty money. Dirty money. Yeah. But to what extent were they, were they doing more than that? And so um, you look at – you know David Farenthold's story on on all the cash payments, the, you know the sudden pivot mm-hmm. to cash that increases after 2013. I mean, the most cash spent is 2014. Right. Okay. On on this Scotland deal, which is just bonkers. I mean, spending hundreds of millions, two hundred million dollars on a golf course that's never, ever, ever going to return anything like that money. First of all, where's the money coming from? Where did he get it? We can't. So. It, Again, let me just make sure that I, I understand this. So, that, so what we're sort of posing here is, you know, big shindig in 2013, everybody's pals, but at least from what we know about, he never actually gets the money. You know, you court investors, you eventually want them to put some money on the table. It never happens. And you're saying, and it makes sense to me, that this is Donald Trump is not someone who just keeps, you know, you know who has a lot of patience. So it doesn't make sense unless... There, there is a another part of this that is not visible to us yet, and we're hypothesizing that all these, all this cash spending, may be what the other thing that is happening, where all that money is coming exactly. from. Exactly, okay. and so it is a way for me to make sense of the whole long, overly because it's actually this interview right now is the first time I've fully put it all together. So I apologize that I wasn't as tight as I sometimes try to be. Um, but it it makes sense of the full picture that, you know, I mean, you know, one version of this really is. He's kind of a sleazy, seedy guy. He made a bunch of seedy, sleazy decisions and he's not very good at them either. And that right. does explain everything. Right. But another explanation is the world changed. He saw it in some way and he did not turn down the big money. He went for a different pile of big money and he's been getting that big money and he's been hiding it from us. And um, we certainly see that he's spending more money than we have reason to think he had. It's possible he just had an unusually high profit margin on his corporate 
his four corporate buildings or something. But another explanation that makes sense of the whole picture is he was getting tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in money to to launder, or, and and that's makes sense of the whole thing. Okay, so that so it, it is funny because you have that 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 and and this is this uh, David Farenthold Washington Post piece from maybe now two months ago yeah. something like that, which is basically you know everybody talks about Trump debt debt debt. He talks about himself as the king of debt or whatever, and yet at a pivot point that starts in two thousand six and I guess accelerates in um, early in this decade starts paying cash for a lot of stuff and and a lot of stuff that like well. Why, why would you buy that? Like, you know, kind of things that don't where the immediate payoff or even the eventual payoff doesn't seem that uh, doesn't seem that obvious. OK, so so finishing up. So where does that leave us? So presumably all of this stuff, um, you know, we can't see Donald Trump's tax returns, but uh, Robert Mueller can can look at his tax returns and has the has the, um, you know, investigative tools to presumably look at almost anything he wants to if it is uh, connected to his original brief. So I guess that's that's kind of the the unanswered question of, 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 of whether or not whether or not that supposition, that hypothesis is true. And if it is true, whether uh, that's what that's one of the things that Robert Mueller is is Yeah. I mean into. what we know for sure is there's all these scummy characters sending money to Trump. We know now much more than we did just a few months ago that Trump's business ties and any possible collusion are very tightly linked. These are not separate investigations. This right. is one one investigation. And um and so there's a whole host of details that probably do, you know, I don't think you or I are ever going to be convinced that Trump was actually just a legitimate businessman who, who also is an unimpeachable president, right. but but will have huge implications about you know when was he paid, how much was he paid, what were the you know that that kind of stuff. Right now, if this it is a very high bar to convict someone of international money laundering, international foreign corrupt practices. The Department of Justice does it very rarely because it's really hard. You have to prove a crime in the other country, then track all the money and show that that specific money came from that specific crime. Even though crime, money's fungible. Even though money's right. fungible. It's a very hard um, charge. So will will we get actual indictments, probably not of Trump, but of people near him? Will he be an unindicted co-conspirator? Or will we get that narrative that lays this out clearly? Because you – I mean I just tried. I I, I don't think I was as clear as I could be. No, I, it, I think I, I think I got it. I mean, I enjoyed it. I mean, it's a pretty people confusing can, story. People can email in and tell us whether 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 yeah. they whether they got their head around. It. I, 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 you know, yeah. I have I have a different understanding of things now at, towards the end of this interview than I did at the beginning. All right, good. Me too, by the way. So, and then how does that translate into the political process? Right. Does does this narrative land? Um, you know, obviously, there's some huge percentage of Trump supporters who we could – there's no changing their minds. But, right. but you don't have to change too many of the Republicans who didn't vote in the primary for Trump to to really fundamentally shift the political dynamics of the country. So I, I think there's a whole bunch of, you know, technical, specific fact questions that, that will have unbelievable import. But 
for me, I I feel increasingly comfortable thinking of the Trump organization certainly as a organization whose one of their main functions was to abet international financial crime and and increasingly it seems to actually participate in that financial crime. But that participation we have more work to do to really nail it. Right. Okay. So and so just to finish up. So this this uh this this deal in Indonesia um that again touched up with uh the PRC a month ago or a few weeks ago or whatever like that. Presumably this is is one of many of these kind of like you're just like hitting the road internationally and looking for oligarchs and subgarchs who just who who want to get in business with a big American brand and they just cut a deal. So like is that yeah, the, I mean, the he, right perspective it, to that see that? That one really through? seems like Harry Tennis said Joe, or they all call him Harry Tano, who's the Trump's partner in Indonesia. The more you know about this guy, it was inevitable that he and Trump were going to work together. He really, I mean, every single person Trump deals with is called that Donald Trump of his country. Right, Because right, it's right. a very similar, like, but Harry Tano is very similar. Okay. Um, the, the only Russia connection that we know explicitly is Harry Tano is a huge fan of Putin. He's run for president and said he wants to be a Putin-like president of oh, Indonesia. He's, he's gotten, I great think, less than 1% of the vote. Right. He's a really, really scummy character. Um, he he made his fortune by essentially stealing it from Suharto, the dictator's daughter, by being her financial advisor and sort of <laughs> pulling a bunch of scams. You know, who and and Suharto himself is basically a kleptocrat that, yeah, that yeah, like, looted cle- the yeah, whole country exactly. over yeah, decades. Yeah. There's no right, heroes right, here, right, yeah. Right, right. Um, He's made a bunch of really weird friendships. So Harry Tano has been – he's an ethnic Chinese Christian, which it means he will never be president in a in a country that doesn't particularly like ethnic Chinese or Christians. Right, right, right. Um, but in an effort to appease the Islamists, The Intercept had this amazing story about how he basically paid off a real like terrorist politi- – terrorist-supporting political party in Indonesia, Muslim terrorist uh, – uh, supporting a political party just to try and get um, he's Harry Tano is kind of I mean he also seems to have um, Trump's work ethic and 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 focus you know he he's bouncing around going to different political parties right always up to to, to real nonsense he was briefly under house arrest um, either earlier this year or last year for attempted murder um, oh, cool. I mean he's a really good guy right <laughs> yeah excellent uh, well it sounds like he's someone if if we if we dig deeper into this uh, Whatever was happening with this, with with bringing uh, the Chinese state kind of in as a partner, to like there seems like there's a lot of good. There's a lot of good. A lot of good fun at. to have yeah. there. Okay, so so before one key thing I wanted to mention to you as we're finishing finishing this up, get twenty percent off your first order of Grady's Cold Brew at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM because you know. Uh, everybody knows at this point that Grady's Cold Brew is the sponsor of the Josh Marshall podcast. So, uh, Adam, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so um, much. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, I really, uh, I, I, I need to process this. I'm gonna probably gonna, I'm gonna listen to it this evening because I need, I need to like think through. I need, I need a, you know, in physics they talk about it, the, you know, the gut, you know, grand unified theory. I, I, I've been working for like two years now on the grand unified theory of Trump corruption. So I need to take. Seth's work and your work and kind of 
through through Herculean Josh Power, meld them together <laughs> to a to a full understanding of um, of the uh, international warlord who who Trump has become. So yeah, well, fabulous. I'm, I'm, I I will say I'm really grateful because I've been thinking all these thoughts, but I have not had a chance to actually say them out loud, which is part of why this. Podcast well, that, probably that, twice as long as it needed that's, to be. That's that's yeah. that's the magic of this of this podcast. Yeah. Um, so thank you so much. Uh, check people can check out the New Yorker uh, to see your work uh, online and in the old fashioned uh, print version. And uh, everybody, thank you so much. And David, uh, good to have you back from thanks. the uh, thanks Adam from the uh, emergency room. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> All right, David. talk Bye. to you next week. Bye.